0: Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You? Really... All right, I have a cold. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dinner Dennis Fowler, speaks with artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And on the podcast today, I'm speaking with uh, the wonderfully talented Jackie Cation, who's going to be here in Boston, January 19th, at Sonia, formerly TT the Bears, in Cambridge, right behind the Middle East. Uh, Fun talk having... uh, I had a... Fun talk having with Miss Cation. It was a fun talk with Miss Cation. And I've had this call for like four days now. And it's... it's. I meant that everything's stuffed in pressure. And it's terrible. Uh, Nothing works. I don't know. Maybe I'll take some more pills. And I'll help out. Uh, But yeah, I had a great week of shows. I was at Slumbrew on Sunday. And that was a... Wonderful audience. And uh, earlier tonight, I recorded this at four in the morning because the, the, now that I've been unemployed, I've gone full nocturnal. Uh, and so last night, I uh, stopped by Terry O'Reilly's uh, Newton Center, which is one of the best open mics in all of Boston. I uh, had a great set working on some stuff audience was awesome, and between those two things, it's really just uplifted me. uh It's not a lie that I've been in a low place since I was uh dismissed from the radio industry in august uh but this week could uh, a couple good shows exactly what I needed put a little uh spunk in my step and uh spring in my heart. Uh, you gotta sound terrible uh, hopefully, I'll be able to breathe by the time I finish this. I doubt it, though. Anyway, uh, this occasion will be here in Boston, like I said, with her co-host of her podcast, The Jackie and Laurie Show, Laurie Kilmartin, who you will know from previous interviews that I had with. Uh, the two of them will be doing stand-up and then doing a live podcast taping. Uh, I did this interview in conjunction with Dig Boston. So you can go to the website, digboston.com, find the uh, arts and entertainment, the comedy section, read the interview, the Q&A style interview that I had with Jackie, and then come here, come back to here, and listen to the full uh, interview, and I will say full, even though it was truly not the full interview. Uh, we had probably about a 17-minute... Eh, I wouldn't even say that. We, her and I... Uh, Jackie and I were on the phone for about 10, maybe 11 minutes together, uh, and when I say phone, I mean she was on the mobile phone. I was calling her from a uh, VoiceOver IP app on my computer, and it uh, wasn't sounding great, and it started getting worse, and so we hung up, and we tried a landline, and then realized it was uh, my... F- and that was the VO... IP system that I was using. So I went and quickly, uh, we hung up, and I went and quickly rewired the studio to plug my cell phone right in so I could call her. And uh, that is the part of the interview you're going to hear. I still have the earlier stuff, but we just reiterate it right off the bat, so there's no point really in having it. The audio is terrible. I don't feel like spending the time fixing it and cleaning it up. And uh, I'm willing to admit that I... I've had a problem with the studio here. You know, big Radio type guy, Dead Air Dennis, is having problems with this podcast studio. That's fine. I'm willing to admit that. Uh, I'm not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Things go wrong. That's okay. I'm glad I fixed it, and hopefully it's fixed for good. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see how I keep... I change the wiring in this studio every other week, because I feel like it. Anyway... That's what I do. Please enjoy this conversation uh, with Ms. Cation. Her and I talked uh, about video games and being Armenian and her difference between hosting her own podcast and hosting a podcast with a friend. Uh, And she is just an absolute delight and a joy. And I hope if you're in the Boston, Massachusetts, New England area, you go see her and Laurie, January 19th. There will be a link in the descriptions of this podcast where you go purchase tickets for if you would like. Uh, So there. Yeah, listen to the Dork Force, listen to Jackie and Larry's show if you're not already doing that. If you like what you hear. Also, if you like what you hear, share it with friends. Please uh, leave a a comment on whatever podcast aggregator you are. Usually there are things I would say for after the show, but I'm not doing an outro tonight. So I'm just introducing this conversation with comedian and podcaster Jackie Cation. Hi, Jackie. It's, uh, Dennis Mailer. Okay, good. Got gotcha. you. Okay. Uh, alright, so uh, let me take a second to explain, uh, while I catch my breath. Uh, I've, I've worked in the radio industry 20 years, and, uh, over those years, I've built a pretty good podcast recording studio at home. And, unfortunately, recently, uh, I was fired in August, and since August, everything has fallen apart, and nothing works ever <laughs> during these interviews. No. Like, I had an interview with Guy Branham a couple months ago, and it just, at none of the uh, same situation, audio problems across the board. I'm like, why is it that I don't work in the industry? Now everything uh, is falling apart, and it makes me incredibly uh, um, self conscious and anxious, and I'm sorry, and that's unprofessional, but I'm on point. Well, we have your audio. You sound amazing. We're going to get this you- done. We're
1: gonna do it, and I got you back. And errors occur; don't sweat it.
0: Okay. Um, so let's go back. Uh, let's, let's just review the things that we just said with the Armenian. I saved that audio, but just in case we lost something, we picked up a new gem. Uh, so previously, uh, in your earlier years in comedy, you did a lot of jokes about being Armenian. Now that you don't, uh, now that you've been doing comedy, what twenty-two years, something like that? Um, I think it's been that you no, don't really thirty. Early- uh, I think. Oh, geez, I'm yeah. terrible at
1: math. Ni- 1984.
0: So really? there you go. Oh, I yeah. I thought I was like, oh, I'm catching on to her uh, in her early no, no, career no, in the no, late no, '90s. No, I'm, I was in the uh, middle let, of it. Let me
1: it. just tell you something. It's uh, nobody's ever heard of me. I've just been <laughs> plugging away. It's uh, no worries.
0: So now that you're uh, if, at more advanced in your comedy career, do you sometimes wish that you could go back and retell those Armenian jokes, or is that a well that you no longer? Can draw from because you feel that you've pulled all the jokes from and you feel bad for your newer fans who didn't get to hear that material? No.
1: Here's the thing. First of all, um, I will tell an old joke whether they want to hear it or not. Excellent. I am a huge fan of doing the stand-up that I think the audience needs to hear. So if they, if they, if there is comedy that they, that if there if there are jokes that I need to do to set up the next joke like I only had a couple of jokes about being Armenian and I have the uh, on my latest album I have actually more powerful stuff about sort of my ancestry than anything that I've ever previously done it was pretty light back in the early 90s um, but the um the 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 comedy itself when it there's, I mean, there's a couple of things you were talking about. It was when, when we were talking earlier. And it was the fact that I'm willing to talk about my ancestry. The, the way, the way I write state of comedy is that it's enormously organic and in the moment as far as where, where my brain is at. You know, like my father is 82 years old and I've traditionally I've done a lot of stuff about my dad. And, um, if that, the, and, and that happens organically as he opens his mouth, you know, <laughs> I mean, he is hilarious in many ways because he is constantly talking and, um, and like Lori Kilmartin does a lot of stuff about her dad because her father was dying, you know, and, um, and so she had she had that whole you know an hour about dealing with her father passing away. And so that's I mean that's how the stand-up tends to lend itself. Is you you write what you know whatever you happen to be going through, right? Mm-hmm. And and so when the genocide bit on my new album is entirely based on the fact that the that I've never been a political comic, and it was recorded six weeks after the current election, after after the the last presidential election. Yes. So, um, I had genocide on the mind, which was weird and horribly prophetic. <laughs> and <laughs> it is. It's uh, because we're living through this weird this weird nightmare of like every rock in the United States of America has turned over and, and a worm is allowed to walk out and usually be in charge of some sort of border entry and with very little oversight. So the, I'm not saying, you know, it's hashtag, not all them, hashtag, not all insert, whatever. It's literally, the the abuses that are going on are on a global scale, we're genuinely in the midst of (laughs) of just a giant shit show. And so when I six weeks after the election, I was reminded of my grandmother talking to me about the Armenian genocide in nineteen fifteen. And um and I was just talking about and so I tell the story of the three times that she mentioned it in my life. And two of those stories are very funny and one of them is not. And so I put the one that isn't in the middle because that's how comedy works. And then I told the funny one, the not funny one, and then the funny one. And then I tell a punch punchline because mm-hmm. that, that is also how comedy works. <laughs> so I just to remind the listener, <laughs> that's how it usually goes. So, um, so that's, that's the last time I really talked about it. There's no, there's no. Whenever I do a show, like here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of Armenians, and sometimes people come see me because they see my name and it's an Armenian name. But I get on stage and I see a sea of Armenian people, and I'm like, I don't have any Armenian jokes. All you can do is insert the word Armenian every time I mention my father, because my dad is 100% Armenian. You know that that is a that is one armo dude and he is also 100% Wisconsin because he was born and raised in Wisconsin so he is he is a guy that uh, he will go fishing but he will also sell you some siding so he is a, he's just a walking around dude is my dad and uh, and I love him dearly but there's he is both of those things entirely so what are you going to do?
0: Alrighty. Uh since you mentioned uh, Laurie Kilbart a few moments ago, let's uh, let's switch topics to to your relationship with her because the two of you host a podcast together uh, which you will be doing a live version of I think January 19th here in Boston at Sonia. Um uh, yeah. in addition to doing that you both doing stand up um, but what I didn't understand right, is, is what's, uh, the difference between doing, uh, your podcast with Laurie, where you're co-hosting it together and talking as opposed to Dork Forest, which is you doing an interview podcast. So the nuts and bolts of being the person doing both and how you have to, is, is there different parts of the brains for each of those or?
1: Very much so. That's, uh, that's a great question because the thing is, is the... The Dork Forest, I've been doing it, this is the 13th year, and my interviewing skills have gotten much, much better. Um, we almost, in the Dork Forest, what I do is I interview somebody about something they like a lot. And it could be those, for example, the Hallmark Christmas movies. It could be the band Ween. It could be the bee, the insect, the bee anyway it could be anything but it could also be video games and movies and and comic books and science fiction it could be traditional dork things but uh, but the umbrella includes everything so when i interview somebody i'm essentially talking letting them talk about what they love a lot and then i'm learning stuff about it and then i am there's some anecdotes but it's almost never any discussion of stand-up comedy the podcast i do with laurie kilmartin And we're both going to do half our sets, and then we'll do an hour of our podcast where we discuss being stand-up comics. And there is innumerable podcasts about where middle-aged white guys talk about what it's like to be a stand-up comic. There are very few... Well, there are middle aged white ladies, so it's not really a step forward. It's more of a lateral move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as Same far topic, as like in- inclusion, news. yeah, and it's and it's so we t- essentially we celebrate and bitch about stand up comedy for an hour and to talk about stand up comedy when I, it's not my job to interview you. I want to talk more. <laughs> that I do on the Dork Forest because I don't know anything about Jay Z, I don't know I don't know anything about sneakers. Uh, your dorkdom is Speed Racer. Eh, I've seen it. Anyway, So, <laughs> with stand up comedy, it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jim Jim. And so, but the uh, but with stand up, I'm literally dipped in it twenty four seven. And so when we start talking about it, the biggest thing I had to learn with Kill Martin is not to interrupt, is to let her talk. She has yet to learn it with me. What? Wait a minute. Boom! Zinger! <laughs> and, uh, because, she hasn't done a podcast before, so, but so she wants to talk about stand-up for a long time, and I want to talk about stand-up for a long time, and so we tend to, uh, we're, we're still figuring this out. Well, this is our, I think it's our third year of doing it, the third season, so, there's probably a hundred episodes, and um, it is an opportunity to really because we she started in eighty nine, I started in eighty four, and we had never met each other until
0: two thousand and six. What? You're both yeah. both LA comics, right?
1: Well, she well we met very very briefly. I did Tough Crowd, which was her f- first writing job on We're Comedy writing. Central. Yeah, and uh, and she, right, and she wrote on that, and we met super briefly on that, and then I think in two thousand and eight, she was on The Dork Forest with, um, Kathleen, Kathleen Madigan, and it was what I was doing, two people at a time, and they both talked. Uh, extensively about the Kennedys, which is a, an American political family. Yes. Uh, that that I don't know a great about, deal about either.
0: Uh, but, uh, America's they, royal family.
1: Exactly. Or the close we got to it. Mm-hmm. And so they were. Um, but I didn't know either of them. I had barely met either of them because in when we all came up, and I think Kathleen started in the '80s as well, is. They would only book one woman per show. And to some extent, that's still the the, the norm, you know? I mean, they'll only book one woman uh, per show, and they'll only book one person of color. I, I have heard recently a club owner say, well, I can't book a black guy every week. Oh, God. Oh. And you're like, well, you book a white guy every week. And he's like, <sighs> yeah, the audience. And I was like, yeah, your audience will expand. It turns out <laughs> if you book a black guy every week and at some level, because there's three spots in every comedy show. Right. In, in most of the clubs, there's an opener, a middle and a closer. Yeah. And so and in in the case of Lori and I, we had never met each other because we were going up the same rungs of the ladder. And so we were both featuring when we were featuring, which was, in my opinion, too long. Mm-hmm. And then uh, not uh, moved up and then and then we were all through all of us were headlining. And so we just you never ran into other women comics. And so then I moved to Los Angeles where there's everybody's come to Los Angeles or they go to New York to run it up the flagpole. Right. To see if anybody wants to make them famous or give them a giant bag of money or do something. Right. And that's where you end up meeting most of the other. In, or at least in my generation, you end up meeting the other women comics. So, it's been it's been a real it's been really cool getting to know her uh, over these last three years. We're building a friendship. She doesn't know, <laughs> but we're we're gonna be
0: friends. <laughs> I I I I've I don't I would never have said this to Lari in the when I spoke with her a few months ago, but I feel like she has yeah. a hard exterior that's a little hard to crack. Is that is that true?
1: You know what she that is. I would say I would have said that myself like three years ago, but um, it is to some extent a, not a character because she's not wearing a hat or anything. But uh, it is sort of a. I think it's sort of a defense mechanism where it's just like, she's like, well, I don't know you very well, but comedy is so personal that we're going to be in this very, in these very close quarters. So it feels like, like to some extent, a lot of comics do this where they keep it pretty superficial and jokey. And, and I think how she came up, especially with Colin Quinn and the New York comics those guys, there's a giant amount of just busting on each other. You know, there's a lot of ball busting going on. Even if you don't have any balls.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You got you to gotta grow some.
0: <laughs> Proverbial mm-hmm. balls. Yes, exactly. Ovaries, in our case. <laughs> uh, and I will, uh, yeah, uh, I'll ask you one of the same questions I asked her, and I think yours is going to be the opposite, and I won't tell you what you said until after, but... Uh, <laughs> Do you consider yourself – and I ask this to every comedian because I find it very interesting. Do you find yourself to be more of a performer or more of a writer? Is your strong suit writing or is your strong suit on stage telling jokes?
1: You know, um, I'm not even going to lie to you. It's both. Okay. <laughs> I'm not I, even – I can I, I try to. I, I could try to be, you know, um, people – I'm literally, uh, from what I can tell of my the reception I get, which is most people come up to me after the show and they say, you remind me, and it used to be, of their daughter or their college roommate, and now it's their aunt or their mom, <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> the aging process is inexorable, uh, but the uh, um, I am... My stand up comedy persona tends to be something that feels super likable, right? And, um, and so I am, it's, but the, the thing is, is it's such a, it's such a huge thing about, about writing where you, cause stand up comedy, you write your own stand up, obviously, right? You write your own material and nobody has the experiences that I, as far as I can tell, it's almost, impossible to steal and I hate to say this <laughs> it's almost impossible to steal my material because it's, it's so personal but I don't because um, I, I don't want to dare anyone to get out there do this <laughs> that's yeah. what I really don't want to do because <laughs> it's probably possible it just hasn't it hasn't really I mean I've had other people work premises of mine that are and then come to the same sort of punchline there's a, a a really great comic. Um, do you know Tom Papa?
0: Oh, of course I know Tom Papa.
1: Yeah, he, there he you go. Makes sourdough bread. <laughs> does he? Uh, so does my mother-in-law. Uh, so uh, the um, the he and I came up with he came up with a joke, and it's on his new special, and it's on my album from eight years ago. <laughs> and it is essentially the premise is is someone has a cat. It's a diabetic cat. Diabetic cat medicine costs three thousand dollars. Mm. What's the punchline? The punchline is, and oh, it's always cat. going to be, well, cats are free. Cats—that's three thousand new cats. That's <laughs> what that is. And um, so that's the joke that I do, and it's worked into a larger bit about uh, pet owners in Los Angeles. And then one night he got up, and he—and I had just done that. This is probably six, seven years ago. I had just done that bit. He got up and he told that joke, the same joke, but in a different, you know, setting. But he hadn't seen my set. So he walks off stage. The rest of his set, he crushed because he's an enormously hilarious dude, right? Yes, he is. But, right. And so, but that joke didn't go anywhere because the audience was confused. For they had heard the same joke twice. So he comes off stage and I said, Diabetic cat medicine, three thousand dollars, three thousand new cats. Yeah, I just did that joke, and he goes, "What? It just happened to me." And I said, "I know, it happened to me like three years ago," and uh, and so that's that's the only way anyone's ever st- not stolen, but I, and, and where where there's been overlap, right? Parallel yeah. well, thinking because. And that's all it is, right? And because that is the only joke. That is the joke. There's nobody's writing a different joke about three thousand dollars and a cat. Yeah. There's there's if you are, you're you're doing the Lord's work, man. You're you're nailing it. Good for you. Uh, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. All right. So next question is, uh, and I find this interesting because I don't remember where who said this, but it's always been a thing that's been in my mind ever since whenever it was that I heard it. That. Uh, a comedian once said that when you're a comedian, media, TV news, not TV news, but media places like movies and, and all those people. Everybody wants you to do everything other than be a stand up comedian. When you're a stand up comedian, they want oh. you to act. They want you to write. They want you to host. They want you to do all these things other than stand up comedy. Um,
1: That's Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg had this joke about how uh, if you are a farmer or wait, if you're a chef, they want you to farm. And they're like, you're such an amazing chef. We'd love you to start a farm. And you're like, okay. So yes, I get what you're saying. Yes. But on
0: that note, uh, I know a lot of comedians do acting jobs to, especially LA comedians, they do a lot of acting to help support their comedy or because it's something else that they want to do. Like Bill Burr doesn't do a lot of acting, but he will do the acting projects he wants to do, for example, that. I don't. He does.
1: He does a lot of acting. Yeah. Yeah. he, He has voiceover stuff. Yeah, he's got a boatload of acting. He uh, does anyway.
0: But you don't do a lot of acting. Is that a personal choice? Is that a, a, a that is
1: not a personal okay. choice? That is a that is an industry choice. Okay. And the I, industry could rise to the occasion and get me some work. Okay.
0: I was hoping to not step step on that. <laughs> that's not my choice. I want to be. I didn't want to go to that dinner. I was hoping not to step on that bitter landmine. Right. But I guess you I did. were
1: hoping. You were hoping that that wasn't the answer.
0: Yeah, I was hoping but. you were like, "Yeah, I just don't like doing it because I find it to be incredibly trite and stupid." But
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do have—I I have a comparable, which is weird because Kill Martin writes for Conan, um, and a lot of my friends write for for TV shows and stuff. Is I've never wanted to be in a writer's room. I don't. I don't want like a lot of comics, uh, or not a lot, but the ones that are allowed to and encourage. You know. Because th- that's another thing where, um, where it's it's opportunity and stuff, right? So, but I've never sought the opportunity. I've sought the opportunity of acting and have not, and have not really been taken up on it, right? But I have not taken the uh, I have not sought the opportunity of writing, and people, um, I think I had a manager once tell me that I. He was kidding, but uh, he was like, you got a face for radio. And uh, he's like, you should definitely try the writer's room. And I was like, oh, you can uh, stop being my manager. (laughs) And... uh,
0: (laughs) Remember, you're my employee manager.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I don't think you understand how this dynamic works. And uh, so, but he... um, But yeah, but I I definitely... I would... But yeah, because the writer's room for me seems... And I don't know how Lori does it, but she really does. She has separated the – because what what you do when you're in a writer's room is especially like a sitcom or something like that or a a dramedy where they want you to mine your life for their storylines, for their characters. And I mine my life for my stand-up. So I have never wanted to give up my stories – to other people, I guess. Yeah. But which, you know, it's not like they don't pay a fair wage to ask you to do it. Cause they do. It's a, it's a well-paying gig. It's those writing
0: gigs. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, as a comedian myself, think about, could I be like a, a, a writer in a writer's room? And I don't think that my skill set is there. Um, just to go back to the performer versus writer, Laurie's answer was she's more of a writer than a performer. She's strong, you know. She was like, "I'm a strong performer, but she can write for her voice, <laughs> and she also has the ability to write for other people's voices." Uh, and I think that's right. where the the for her that's where the difference came in. It's like, "Hey, I can just write, 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 but I can perform what I write, but I can also just give something, give a writing to someone else to perform, and it's equally as good." I see myself more as a performer even though I would love to be a writer, I don't think my jokes work outside of my personal well,
1: point of view. Now, well, I, and I'm sure Lori. I mean, I'm not sure, but I'm almost sure that Lori would say that learning to write for other people is a learned skill. Yeah. So if you did it, you would get better at it. Probably. And, yeah. But what I have noticed with oh. a lot of people who go into those writer's rooms, well, yeah, okay. But a, a lot of people who go into those writer's rooms is they... They stopped doing stand-up themselves. It's one of the things I most admire about Lorica Martin is that she's out doing stand-up three or four nights a week, even in Los Angeles, with a full-time job and a kid and her mom moved in with her, you know, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And she's she needs the stand-up as much as I do if not in some cases more yes. <laughs> <laughs> mostly because she has a, a home life that is super big. Like she's got a kid and, and her mom lives with her. And, and so, and then she has this, you know, 40, 50 hour a week job. So she's, and, and she wants to also work on a new album. So she's got a, on a Friday night after work, she'll fly on a red eye to come do like the show that we're doing in Boston. She's coming on the red-eye from L.A. to Boston. She's going to arrive in Boston at 4 a.m. Oh, man. I'm coming because I'm coming from the road. I'm coming from uh, New York City. It's going to be sweet.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Nice little four-and-a-half-hour drive.
1: Exactly, uh, up flying.
0: I don't um, know. <laughs> so it's was an, hour tw- oh, was an hour up flight. Oh, is it an hour flight? I would have said twenty-five minutes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think it's. The, I think the hour and a half is more get to JFK, up, down, and then get out of Logan. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but I'm. So I did. I, I admire what she makes of her life and her art, right? Her stand-up,
0: um, because.
1: But I don't want to do it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and in her case, the things that make her want to leave the house are also things that can also cover for her when she's not out of the house. So, that's exactly. a benefit to yeah. But, uh, you had mentioned Conan, and in preparation for this conversation, I reviewed some of your uh, Conan sets uh, oh. because I love Conan, and you know, I wanted to see if there was anything that particularly I wanted to ask you um, about it. And this really, yeah, I watched the stand ups, I'm like, yeah, these are all still great. They all hold up. But the one thing I want to ask you about uh, is I- honestly, how uncomfortable is Conan's height?
1: Oh, right. That was weird, wasn't it? When I first met him and I was like, this dude's got to be 6'6". Six, six. Uh, and it's, and it's, I know other guys that are 6'4 and 6'6", six, six, but they usually don't stand next to me while they talk. I mean, the, I, I think it's a greater challenge for the camera person. And because uh, they're like, how do I how do I cheat this to make sure that it's not just her head and his ribcage? <laughs> and uh, they did a pretty good job, but I looked really short next to him, didn't I?
0: I think everyone does, and I I looked at <laughs> and it, it it literally makes me uh, visibly cringe when I see that disparaging of a height difference between two people because it seems so unnatural.
1: <laughs> I know it's weird, but uh, and I'm tall in my family. Or maybe just emotional. Maybe I just feel. <laughs> I feel like I'm
0: <laughs> uh, And then the last subject we will talk about uh, is something you're very familiar with. Uh, because yeah, I think you're the biggest female voice out there about this subject. And that's video games.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Well, it's, uh, you know, that, that was in 2003. I had a, a half hour special on Comedy Central. And I did a joke about video games. And to this day, people that were fourteen years old in 2003 uh, really want to talk to me about video games. Uh, they are currently twenty nine years old, but uh, I am they are they literally are like, you made it you made it possible when I when I started doing stand-up, I was like, well, that woman did a joke about video games. I'm gonna do a joke about video games and I was like, yeah, do a joke about whatever you." Think about all the time. <laughs> and at the time, it was video games, which is why now most of my act is peppered with comic book references because I read uh, probably 40 comic books a month. And I'm more comic book than video games these
0: days. Is it uh, now somebody who has that? devoted a hobby. I was, I was never into video games uh, growing up. I right. wanted to be, I tried to be. Ultimately, my family was too poor. That's really what it pulls down to. And so I grew up without video games and now I'm an adult. And I tried to play Spider-Man on PS4 yesterday that my roommate just bought. And it took me 10 minutes to figure out how to turn on the PS, the PlayStation 4. And yes. 10 minutes into it, I realized that it was already turned on. So.
1: Yes. Um, it's. Here's the thing about video games is all you have to do is do an original, you know, especially with like a PS4 or an Xbox, you have to spend about nine to 14 hours of getting real comfortable with the, with the joystick, with the, uh, with the, with the, the handheld. Yeah. Controller. And I always played uprights. I always played, um, arcade, arcade games because, uh, when I went to college in 1984, Uh, it was the first time I had any money. I got student loans and I spent 75 bucks a week on video games for the first month I was there. And then I heard about a guy who had to drop out of college because he spent all of his money on video games. And I don't know if you know anything. 1984 was a hell of a year for video games. 84, 85, 86. Mm -hmm. That was like, that was, that was, they were just getting into LaserDisc, like *Dragon's Lair* and all that stuff. But it was it was it was the heyday of of *Cubert* and *Donkey Kong* and *Mario Brothers*. And it was I played *Tempest* and *Joust* and like literally I was living in a *Ready Player One* world. <laughs> so it was that ready. I mean, Ernie Klein, who's been on *The Dark Forest*, by the way. Oh, but he uh um he literally was writing a love letter to my youth, to my, my college years. With that Ready Player One nonsense. It was great. I loved it. I don't know why I've just called it nonsense. <laughs> a monster. So
0: My God. I, I can all I can think of is carrying around three hundred quarters every week to the arcade.
1: It's uh well you know you don't have to. You don't have to. There's a change maker right there. You can bring yeah. bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so. if you make if you make fun of, friends with the guy who runs the uh the arcade which i never realized that guy was hitting on me anyway uh i just you were made, the only woman he, there
0: uh, probably almost, yeah. yeah
1: pretty close and he was he would give me free games on nice. all the on all the things and i was like i i look back at that and i was like no that guy liked me <laughs> uh i don't take a lot of social cues real good <laughs> but the journey continues
0: uh, so obviously, arcades was your introduction into into video games. So that covers that question. Uh, let's uh, let's end this on a nice, uh, happy, fun, hopefully fun, funny uh, ending. And that's uh, since I just in preparation for this interview, I spent four hours. Yes. I f- spent four hours last night playing Spider Man on PS4. <laughs> <laughs> oh sure. my
1: god! I'm so sorry that uh, you're like, oh, she's gonna want to talk about the new Spider Man game. Oh, when we're. Ri- Literally the only video game I'm playing right now is on my phone and it is a Spider-Man game. It's called a uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest. <gasps> my buddy
0: and it's essentially
1: uh, Oh yeah? Yeah, it's, a local uh, Boston
0: my... comedian works for the company that helped make those.
1: Oh that's great. My husband knows the distributor. He's a video game designer. So it's uh that's that's neat. Tell him he's doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so uh and it's the first game that I've done in-game purchasing and Andy, who's my husband, uh, Andy was like, "I can't believe you did in-game purchasing. Don't you realize it changes the algorithm?" And I was like, "I told you that it changes the algorithm." And I was like, "I needed more slots for more heroes." So it went. It went like that for, and we both. He's been playing over five hundred days. I've only been playing for about four hundred. No. So he's been, he's been wow. playing longer than me. Um, yeah,
0: but I, the the. What I was going to ask is not actually about the game itself, but uh, my thumb hurts. And do you have any good recommendations on thumb recovery <laughs> and finger exercise for controllers?
1: Well, I uh, am always a huge fan of self care, man. <laughs> Dude, get a dream catcher and uh, do. I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. Fair enough. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> no,
0: that's alright. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, trust me, I whipped the premise at you. It was like, make a punchline. That's, it's exactly. Right. I got nothing. Oh, okay.
1: Are you going to come to the show or are you going to come and hang out?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to come hang out. And I'm also going to just okay. drop off a print copy uh, to you because I do that to everybody. and You can keep it, send okay. it to your mother, frame it, throw it away, do whatever you would like with it. I just like to make sure everyone gets a print version of it because I will okay. condense this down and make it a much more like Q&A style. And then I released sure, the sure. audio as the, uh, and, you know, at the bottom. I was like, oh, "Listen to the full unedited podcast. let <laughs> like this land out here." It's so. bonus. Yes. All right. Um, all right cool. Um, and final question that I ask everyone is: throughout your career of, of being an entertainer and being interviewed, is there ever has there ever been a question you wish somebody would have asked you in an interview that you've always prepped an answer for and never got to say?
1: You know. Uh, No, I've never (laughs) here's uh, here's what I would recommend is if uh, if when people ask they always um, there's always a question that they don't ask that I'm usually pretty happy about uh, because it's, you know, like like when they asked Norm MacDonald what he thought about Hannah, uh, the Nanette show, Mm -hmm. Hannah Gatsby. And he said, and I quote, I didn't see it. But here's my opinion anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and that is a classic. That's exactly what I would do. Like if you were to be like, well, what do you think about uh, Brexit? Brexit. I was like, well, I don't know anything about it, but allow me to expound with <laughs> a lot of information about something I don't know anything about. So I appreciate you not asking me that question.
0: Yeah, I don't like to, I, I hate doing topical questions. I only ask you things that I think you actually do know. If I was going to ask you a Brexit <laughs> question, it's because I know that you know something about Brexit because you have said it. And all I'm trying to do is regurgitate an answer. Which, by the way, your co host Laurie hated me for that. I would try to oh. set her up to tell her uh, tell her bits, so I was like, here's a setup for you to tell one of your well-known bits about a subject, and she would just, mm-hmm. like, she would talk oh, no. and have a couple things, and then I would like, hey, can you, can you just do me a favor and, and talk about the joke <laughs> about having sex in the garage, because I figured it'd be really funny for you no. in the interview. No, it's like, sound. Yeah. <laughs> go, yes. Look, if you want me to tell a joke, just tell me to tell the joke, and I'll tell it. <laughs>
1: That is hilarious and know in your heart that none of us uh, liked being on comics Unleashed. so uh, but we all took the money yeah. <laughs> have, you seen, have, have you ever seen that? <sighs> comics Unleashed I can't I can that. I know the name but I don't know if there was
0: anything different than he uh, kind of. what was
1: it's it? essentially he it's a it's a late night show and uh, you do panel and uh, it's Byron Allen. Okay. No, it isn't. It is not Byron Allen. Who the hell is it? I don't know who it is. Doesn't matter. Feel free to look it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he he sets up the comics. He literally goes, so I understand you're Armenian. And then, then you're supposed to do your j- joke about being Armenian. He's like, so I understand you just bought a house. And then you do your joke about buying a house. And so uh, it's, it's called Comics Unleashed. Yes, and it's Armenian. hosted
0: by Byron Allen.
1: Oh, it is fire now, yep. and uh, and let me tell you something. You're enormously leashed. Uh, <laughs> there is absolutely very little le- There's very little unleashing. You are you are penned in, penned in, hemmed, hard. Anyway.
0: Are we good? Yes, we are great. (laughs) That is everything. Thank you so much for uh, being patient with uh, my technical difficulties that I'm going to go roll up in a ball and cry about for just at least an hour. That's it. No more. Don't Uh, do it, but (laughs) ping me
1: when it goes up, and I will retweet and do all the things.
0: Absolutely, and I will see you uh, January 19th at Sonya, uh, formerly TT TT and the Bears. Uh, The reason I say that is for any Boston listeners, like, oh, I know where that is. Anyway, uh, Jackie, you're... uh, Amazingly funny and a great person and a human being, and I appreciate you taking the Thank time uh, and, uh, to both talk and cobble me verbally uh, okay. throughout this <laughs> the ordeal. Alright, All right. talk to you soon. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.